all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hello, Mississippi and every other place listening. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. I'm live here with our producer, Jay White, and we are just waiting for your call at one 672 7464 This is the Wednesday program, the original Southern Remedy, where we try to take your calls on any topic, and we don't really have a topic other than what you want to know. So we have lines open, and we'd love to hear from you. There's a lot going on, and that number is 1-877-672-7464. I'm here waiting for your call alone and lonely. Listen, there's a lot going on, a lot going on. This Vietnam War series, it's starting on uh, MPB television this Sunday at 7, is the first of a 10-part documentary. We have uh, per capita in Mississippi the largest contribution to the military services per capita of any state in the country. It's been that way for many years, up and down, one or two, but that's the general Statement. So we have lots of folks who have served in the military or are serving. I'm one of those. I'm a Vietnam-era veteran. Uh, I spent all my time at Walter Reed Hospital in Washington uh, for 10 years actually receiving folks from Vietnam and other areas. And we have made a video that's going to play during this series with a combat surgeon, Dr. Jim Hughes, who was actually there on the battlefield uh, during this period. So a lot of us in medicine, and there are a lot of other medical doctors uh, of my generation who spent time in Vietnam or connected with it in some way. So, uh, And then there's all the people who were actually there, and some of whom are still dealing with that whole issue. You know, none of us talked about... Vietnam, when we got out of the service and got out of uniform, uh, my my experience was nothing compared to those who were in in combat. But I can remember walking, get, going to get my wife a birthday present in uniform uh, in Silver Spring, Maryland, and have somebody spit on me uh, during Vietnam, which was. Uh, you know, that was that was the atmosphere a lot of us went through during that period who chose to serve. And so we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of baggage that we work through. And and hopefully this series will help uh, us talk more about it because we just basically don't talk about it. So that's something to listen to. And we'll be talking about that more on this program we're going to go to Oxford in just a minute and go to your house. If you give us a call at one 672 7464 We also have the latest data on the flu vaccines. And let me tell you, this year there's a flu vaccine for everybody. They've got one for whatever you're, uh, you know, whether you're Baptist, Methodist, or Catholic, or Jewish, or whatever, Muslim. they got one for you. And um, if you want to know more about those flu vaccines, Give us a call. We'd love to talk about them because it's now you should be getting them. We already have flu in the state, and you ought to be getting your flu shot if you're six months old or older. So give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we'll talk about that. And while you're there getting your flu shot, don't forget to get your Pneumovax, your pneumonia shot, because that's what kills you from flu. It's not the flu. that's the pneumonia you get from bacteria uh, about four weeks later or sometimes sooner, depending on how unlucky you are. So if you're 65 or under, you need to be getting both of the Pneumovax. And they've just found out that in the U.S., uh, somewhere around, uh, let me see the latest number. 
75 percent of adults over uh, the the year, uh, age of 65 have not gotten both vaccines. That's crazy. You, you folks must want to die young. 65 is young now. 65 is the new 35. At least that's what my wife tells me. So uh, you you need to get those shots. And let's talk about that. And let's go to Oxford and Shandy. Did I, did I get that right? Yes, you did. Good to hear from you. What's happening? Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. And thanks for uh, talking about the Vietnam War. My father was uh, drafted as a Marine and um, spent 69 and 70 in Da Nang and was um, completely inundated with Agent Orange. And he's had a lot of health problems because of that. And... Um, with the fallout that's been going on from that, a lot of the children of Agent Orange are also having a lot of health problems, and I'm one of those as well. Um, so, you know, I found a couple of Facebook groups. I found um, a few resources, but I was wondering if you happen to have any more ideas about the children that are being affected by their parents from um, being exposed to Agent Orange. I know that um, Final Visita and there are, you know, very, very small percentage of medical um disabilities and issues that are covered by the government, but there, there, just, there is a plethora of health issues that a lot of us seem to be having who had had parents in that war. So I was just hoping that you could um, shed some light on that. And I'm going to be driving, so do you mind if I hang up? Not at all, and I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm in the parking spot right now. But I, I really, really appreciate you bringing that up. And uh, actually, we ought to do a, some special time on that topic. Um Let's talk about the veterans first. Uh, the After many years of uh, fighting, veterans organizations got uh, all veterans who were, um, who, who were exposed or had documented exposure to Agent Orange or other defoliating agents like it uh, to get full VA benefits. Uh, people like me who get VA benefits don't have full VA uh, benefits, even though I served for over 10 years, because um, uh, of a lot of uh, bureaucratic stuff. So all of our Agent Orange exposed individuals uh, have uh, full benefits. There has been uh, a lot of uh, concern about whether or not the conditions reported in these veterans might be uh, infectious or not. It looks like most of these were not, uh, but that still has not been totally worked out. And until enough autopsies are done on Vietnam-era veterans to figure out what what actually is present, we're not going to know, but they are covered uh, for most of these um, uh, ailments and uh, fibromyalgia, um, uh, various varieties of mood disorders, uh, PTSD are the primary ones that uh, have been um, have been covered and of interest. There has been a big interest of uh, cancers in this group, and the data is still coming in on that. So, you know, cancers take a while to show up, and we don't really know um, what was going on because so many people were exposed to so many different things uh, in different areas. For instance, in combat zones, uh, garbage was burned in pits, uh, and there was a lot of contamination and inhalation of all kinds of toxic stuff from that lots of plastics and others, and all the data is not in on that. So for you, uh, as um, a child of someone who was uh, in a Vietnam-era veteran, um, there are a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of data showing that children actually who grow up in families where there was a combat veteran do have issues, and those uh, may be emotional issues, uh, there's less data on uh, contagious or infectious or malignant problems, but we recommend that anyone, regardless of whether uh, you're in the setting or not, be very careful about knowing your numbers going forward and make sure you uh, get regular checkups. The problem is is that people in Mississippi are still not getting uh, the recommended checkups for blood pressure, cholesterol, um, uh, mood disorders, 
uh, cancer prevention and so forth. It takes going in not to a dock in the box. It doesn't take going into a place where you get your cold fixed. It takes having a relationship with a primary care doctor uh, who sees you on a regular basis and can make sure you had uh, the right screening test. I can't tell you how many people come to me with advanced medical issues that have gotten their care only when they're sick in quick care centers and related things and do not get long-term care or follow-up and end up with advanced diseases. So that's the best I can tell you. I'll be happy to send you um, copies of the most recent information on that, which is not any more specific than what I've given you, but I'll be happy to do that if you send me an email. I appreciate your call. Let's go to Suzanne. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, hello. Good to hear from you. What's going on? Well, I wanted to know what the treatment for a femoral hernia is. Uh-huh. Um, I am, am just wondering, does it require surgery, or is there something else that can be done? Okay. Several years ago, uh, we had a listener who called me, Suzanne, and said, uh, uh, Dr. Rick, you've had every uh, disorder that males and females can have. We're wondering about uh, who, who you are. Uh, I had that one. And uh, femoral hernias are actually very common, and uh, they are a developmental abnormality that is common in the way that the connective tissue uh, secures the gut within the abdominal cavity. And uh, one place that the gut will pop out uh, in a place it doesn't belong is in the inguinal area, that uh, indentation between your leg and your lower abdomen, where there is a, a ligament called the inguinal ligament that gives way. Now, this is an especial problem if you've had multiple babies uh, or if you're overweight. Uh, and um, or it can just occur, period, occurred to me, and I don't know what happened, why. I'm the first one in my uh, generation to have it, but it sure happened. The, the answer is what do you do about it is nothing unless you have to. That's the usual answer. Uh, the only fix for this is surgery, uh, and the surgery is indicated if you have pain in the area, uh, or if you get actually, you have a reducible hernia. In other words, you can feel gut coming through into that little area. And uh, that's why I got mine done. It actually got to be where I could feel, and here with a stethoscope, uh, uh, my bowel within that sac. And what happens is if it gets trapped in there, uh, then it can cause death of that segment of bowel, and that's a medical emergency. Plus, if it's big enough, it's pretty pretty uncomfortable. The surgery is outpatient surgery, and it is not 100%. Uh, and the recovery period is longer than the, doc, the surgeons tell you. Um, most of the surgeons now are using mesh in there if you're overweight or flabby. I had them put mesh in mine just because I wanted it because um, there's uh, less of a breakdown of the repair which is technically quite complicated if they put mesh in there uh, to fix it. So if it's uh, large and enlarging, if there's a lot of gut in it, or if it's painful, then uh, that's the time to get it fixed. And the problem is, if you got one, you may have two, because there's an increased incidence of having it bilaterally than uh, in people who have it on one side. So I hope that's helpful. I got a whole handout for patients on hernias. If you want to send me your email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org, I'll send it to you. How's that? Okay. Thank you. Was that what you needed? Was that what you What kind of doctor does that? A general surgeon. Surgery. A general general surgeon. And you you need to ask that uh, doctor how many of these things he's done in the last month. Okay. If he says one, find somebody else. Okay. All, All right. right. You, it, well, it's technically, much, it's technically, uh, it's tricky. You got to know what you're doing to do this, and if you don't do it regularly, 
you can get sloppy and you have a fail repair. But uh, okay. there are lots of general surgeons that do this regularly, okay? All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, we've got open lines. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics, taking all calls on all topics having to do with medicine or medical issues. Uh, give me a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'd like to hear from you and get to know you and talk about what's on your mind. And we have lines open. Let's go to Newton and Jerry. Hey, Jerry. Hello, Dr. DeSazo. You doing all right? I'm better since you called. I was beginning to get lonely. Okay. What's happening? Well, uh, I'm doing fine, too, according to my doctor. I'm um, doing real well for 67. He said I have some slight COPD. And, uh, I, uh, by the way, I also want to make a statement about veterans when I get through with my question. Okay. Um, uh, and I found that, that I have a lot of congestion on some days, and other days my lungs are just as clear as can be. Mm-hmm. And um, I seem to to have something down there in my chest, and coughing real hard doesn't get it up. Mm-hmm. It might be a hard clearing in my throat does relieve the congestion for a little while. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, good days and bad days. Can you explain what that is? Does it have anything to do with the humidity? Uh, yeah, that's going to take more than a second, and I want to do that. Let me let me hear your. Are you still smoking? Yes. Okay. Ah, come on now, get yeah, with it. I'm sorry, but yeah. Well, that's. Let, I'll talk to you about why that's important, and I'll also talk to you about uh, vaping. Are you vaping? No. Uh-huh. Well, the latest evidence shows that people who vape and stop smoking uh, actually do get off the cigarettes easier. So you ought to think about it. I never thought I'd hear myself recommending vaping. but well, I've, uh, I've had one or two of those, and we had problems with the batteries and so forth and filling it up right in the fluid. We burned up a couple of $50 ones, so Ugh. I'm going to try it again. Yeah, I think you ought to, and we, we can talk about that uh, that center you can call for free, toll-free number uh, It's hooked up to the health department that'll give you free Nicorettes and all that kind of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff to talk about. Let me, let's hear your statement about uh, COPD before I pontificate on your uh, COPD. Uh, well, my statement was about our veterans. Yes. Okay. Uh, our veterans have, have had trouble getting benefits from our government since the Civil War, as far as I know about history. Uh, even after the Spanish-American War, World War I, uh, I think the, the vets that have been treated the best has been the World War II vets because of the GI Bill. But uh, I respect them. I appreciate their service. I've always been anti-war, but I was against the government, not the soldiers, because yep. they're just pawns. Yep. That is uh, that is totally true, everything you just said. Yeah. Uh, I have a great-great-grandfather who was um, a Civil War captain uh, in uh, the Confederacy, Um uh, and I won't comment on how I feel about that. But anyway, uh, I've got a whole stack of letters that he wrote trying to get benefits because he got shot uh, pretty bad and couldn't walk. And so uh, you're right. This has always been a problem. I've never understood why we don't take care of those people who have sacrificed for us. And it is an oxymoron. And it's still going on today. It's uh, There are a lot of people trying to fix broken things, but it's still broken. So there you go. And I'm a VA doctor, and I know it's broken. So I got you. Uh, let's talk about COPD. COPD is a process by which inhaled um, material uh, from uh, cigarette smoke sets up an inflammatory response in the lung. The lung is not real bright. It has only a couple of ways to respond to irritants. One of those is to produce large quantities of mucus. Uh, Mucus is gooey stuff that is secreted by mucus-producing cells that line the airway, the upper and the lower airway. So when the lung uh, is exposed to materials that are damaging to the lung, 
they increase the amount of mucus production where you can cough that stuff up and swallow it. Most of the mucus that we uh, make is coughed up and swallowed. And uh, about a pint a day is normal, but it gets a lot more uh, if you have COPD. That part in itself is not a big deal. What is the big part is that not another way it responds is by making white blood cells that fight infection when there's really no infection there, and they release all their enzymes, and it eats holes in the other cells of your lung and destroys them, and then they heal just like a wound would, and your airways shrink. They're scarred, and they shrink down, and you trap all the mucus that you're making. So you got a problem. You're making too much mucus, and you're trapping it in your lungs. And just like you, especially in the morning, you feel like you can't breathe. You can't get it out. And that's uh, that's exactly what you're describing for our listening audience, uh, Jerry. And I appreciate you sharing that experience. And I, I've watched so many people uh, with it, including my own dad. So I know I know what you're ex- experiencing. The best treatment is to stop smoking. Because a lot of that uh, mucus production will rev down. The second thing you need to do is to get on a bronchodilator. And there are several of these. Uh, there are combinations of a, uh, of a muscle relaxer that uh, uh, relaxes the muscle in the airway with an inhaled corticosteroid that knock out those white blood cells and liquefy that mucus. And there are two different families of bronchodilators. So you need to see your doctor. And if what we do is we don't know which one's going to work the best in a given patient. So we will use things like Advair or Dulera, which are combos of these medicines, or uh, some of the newer ones that are more expensive uh, that have uh, ipratropium in it as a bronchodilator and see what works. But they do work. They are effective. And uh, it's going to take prescription medicines to fix it. But they will get rid of a lot of that complaint that you've got. And thank you for your call. I hope I'll get more calls on that topic because I like to preach on that. I guess I should have been a Methodist preacher, but they wouldn't have me. Let's go to Tupelo and Ron. Hey, Ron. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. What's happening? Well, I just wanted to mention I had inguinal hernia surgery back in March. Yeah. And thank you for telling your listening audience that the surgeons are not entirely candid about recovery. Yeah. Um, it, it takes longer. I had it in March, and I still have a twinge or two of pain occasionally. Well, I had mine three years ago, and I still have pain down there. And okay. they told me that I wouldn't feel anything. And uh, I said, what? Uh, don't you make a scar down there when that heals? Yep. Are you telling me that scars don't hurt? Well, I just people don't, don't, don't complain about it. I said, how often do you <laughs> see them in follow-up after you fix them? Oh, I see them about a month, and that's it. I said, well, that's why you don't hear anything. Because uh, there are certain movements that you can do. Uh, especially if you got mesh in there that sort of trigger. Boy, I have some pretty sharp stuff. What are you having? Um, just palpitations kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is um, there are two methods they use, you know, laparoscopic and the traditional surgery. Right. And um, I couldn't have laparoscopic because I'd had previous surgery in that area. Uh-huh. And so they did the regular surgery and they did the mesh. I asked surgeon could i file a lawsuit was it the kind of mesh that you know i could file a suit after right well you don't have a vagina so it's unlikely that'll work oh okay (laughs) well anyway he said the mesh they use now is recycled or if you do have a vagina your voice is pretty low (laughs) (laughs) well like i said he told me that um they're now using recycled pantyhose and the mesh is no longer an issue are you kidding me <laughs> he was joking. I think he was joking. Now the mesh that they're using for these uh, these are is different from the. It's not too different, but it's different from the vaginal mesh that they're still using, and it works really good. 
for repair of pelvic floor problems uh, in women who have uh, collapse of their pelvic floor and their uterus hangs out uh, as a result of that, and it gets to be very, very uncomfortable. And they make these slings and pull them back up in there if they don't want to have their um, uterus removed. And those are still very effective and still being used. Some of the uh, that was a lawyer thing. That was a lawyer thing. <laughs> Lawyers come up with uh, things to make money, and that's uh, that was never really uh, proved to be much of anything. Uh, but let well, me let me just finish this up by saying that um, the laparoscopic procedure requires a level of skill above that with the open procedure and because you, you can't see things. And uh, I have – I actually – my, my uh, surgeon uh, prefers to do older men uh, who don't heal as well as younger guys with a standard procedure – and uh, it, you have a little bit longer uh, time to heal, but uh, it's been worth it in people I've had it. So if, if they tell you laparoscopic surgery is not magic, there are sometimes you should get it and sometimes you shouldn't. How's that? Um, one more comment. Mm. Um, I challenge any – I'm a sustaining member of MPB. Good and for I you. I challenge anybody that's, that's calling in today getting some medical information – um, I challenge those people to um, send in a contribution. They probably save themselves a visit to the doctor. It sure would help. I'll tell you, we we do this for free. I know the doctors do. that do this, but uh, let me you tell do. you, there are people around here that are not paid well, and the place looks like 1950s because they can't afford to fix the toilets uh, because their budgets are cut so much. So any any money to them would be helpful. They're doing great stuff. I mean, this Civil War series, I mean, this would have never happened on any other place in public broadcasting. So thank you so much for that, and I wish you well, Hernia, and thank you for your call. We're taking all calls on all topics. As you can see, I'm a little crazy today, so I'm liable to say anything. Too much caffeine. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send us an email. We'll talk about your hernia or other parts. Uh, or whatever's on your mind, and I really hope somebody will ask me about the flu shot or give me the usual thing. I'm not taking it because I get reactions, so I can uh, I can tell you about some of the new vaccines. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you don't want to do that, just send me an email, and I'll uh, I'll I'll pontificate on that with a v- email. Let's go to Port Gibson and Linda. Hey, Linda. Hello. How are the praying hands down there at Port Gibson? Oh, it's all right. They're shiny today, huh? Yes. That's a good thing. I am so sorry that you got spat on during the uh, Vietnam. I'm over it. Thank you. And uh, a lot of the boys uh, were, they had to take their jacket off just to, you know, just for safety. Mm -hmm. But, uh, But I am proud of my Vietnam vets and all of the veterans, but... I do have a question. Okay. I have uh, neuropathy in my, one of my toes. Yes. And it's just like like down my leg. Yep. Oh, it's just oh, it's just like a. Mm, I can't. It's hard to describe. It's just like a numbing feeling. It's sort of burning and numbing. Burning and numbing. Yes. Uh huh. And is it on the bottom of your feet uh, or on the top of your feet? It's on the top. Uh huh. And do you have diabetes? Yes, I do. Uh huh. So just about everybody who has diabetes, uh, if you live long enough, gets neuropathy. And what causes that is there's some little teeny weeny nerves that are the pain sensors in your feet and legs that the blood supply to those gets cut off. And it makes them angry, and then you get uh, miss signals. You get all these signals coming back to your brain from those nerves because they're mad because they're not getting enough blood supply. And uh, then eventually they die, uh, and you're left with permanent uh, pain syndromes down there. So this is a real, real problem 
Now, there are a couple of fixable causes of uh, peripheral neuropathy, and the big one is B12, vitamin B12 deficiency. Uh, and there's an increased prevalence uh, of that in uh, diabetics, especially in type 1 diabetics, because it's an autoimmune disease. So one of the things that you should do is ask your doctor uh, if he is he or she or your nurse practitioner, whoever's caring for you, uh, has checked your B12 level. If that level so, is... Um, hmm? Excuse me. No, please. I am, take, I am taking B12, uh, whatever it is. You have to put it under your tongue. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm taking the uh, B12 liquid. Okay, but the, that doesn't mean your level is right. You need yeah. to get them to check your blood level and make sure you don't have a condition called pernicious anemia because right. uh, that that can be fixed. Uh, most people who have peripheral neuropathy uh, don't have a detectable cause of it other than diabetes or some other kind of a condition that affects the nerves. And for diabetics, uh, the best thing that you can do, and you've probably already done it, is mm-hmm. take something like uh, gabapentin or yeah. Lyrica, and you have to go up to the full dose, mm-hmm. uh, which is in gabapentin is almost 3,000 milligrams a day before you say it won't work. And uh, the other thing is that sometimes the uh, – the Lyrica uh, won't work in the gabapentin with or vice versa, and there's some newer ones of these, so that's one thing. And two, sometimes very high-dose B-complex vitamins will help. Once you get past that, uh, there's not a lot you can do for this other than just give pain medicine for it. Is that what you needed? Yes, exactly what I needed. I'm sorry that uh, I can't do the oil Roberts on you and heal you over the telephone. I really I, let me would. tell you, if I could, I'd be doing it right now. Yeah. My hand would be coming out of the microphone on your head. But yeah. uh, if you want some more information about this, just send me an email or have somebody do it for you, and I'll send you a whole handout on this, okay? Thank you. Great to hear from you. Bye-bye. Let's go to, Nes- uh, let's go to Jason and Nesbitt. Hey, Jason. Hey, Dr. Shazo. How are you today? Good to hear from you. Where is Nesbitt? Uh, up near South Haven. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. That's so a good I've place. A, uh, yeah, so I like it up here. It's good. Uh, so I am, I'm in my early 30s, and I've never been a snorer. All right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I have been very unhappy lately, or at least my home has been very unhappy because I have started snoring. Something okay. fierce. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, I have TMJ, so I, I, I know that it's not, it's it's all coming through my nasal passage. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I'll use like a nasal spray that's one of those anti, the kind of anti-inflammatory sorts. Right. And I, and I won't snore for several hours, but those wear off really quickly. And I know I don't need to use those long term because they're, I guess they're, I don't, I don't know why, but I know I'm not supposed to. I'll straighten um, you out on that. Okay. Go ahead. Well, well, basically, I what I, no, nothing has changed. I, I've got some cat allergies. What have you? I take an allergy medication. I take Zyrtec, and I've been using I've used Flonase in the past, but it didn't really seem to make much difference. Okay. Well, that, um, just listen. Listen for a second. Yeah. Let me okay. let me try Tell to explain it. this, and then because I I need to make sure um, I don't confuse you. Uh, anybody whose nose is blocked up chronically. Uh, becomes a mouth breather over time. And the most common group of people uh, who's have their nose blocked up are people with allergies, seasonal allergies. If you've had hay fever, sneezing itchy eyes, and runny nose in the spring and fall your whole life, you end up damaging your nose and and you have airflow issues just about the rest of your life. So if you're not getting airflow through your nose, that will make you breathe through your mouth. And when you breathe through your your mouth and your palate relaxes, that floppy thing in the back of your mouth that you can see if you open your mouth, when you go to sleep, that thing relaxes and flops and gets in your airway. So you get a vibration when you breathe through your mouth. <laughs> like that, uh, and uh, that's the mechanism. So 
uh, if you don't have sleep apnea, if you have enough of that flopping down there, you will block off your airway and stop breathing for periods. That's called obstructive sleep apnea. It gives you a, a, puts you at high risk for high blood pressure and all kinds of other problems. So the number one thing you need to do is have your wife uh, or whoever is listening to you snore uh, listen carefully and make sure you don't stop uh, breathing and and what what it sounds like is this and that's sleep apnea and uh, most people that have that are tired in the morning and they have daytime sleepiness and all kinds of other things that is fixable uh, with a CPAP machine. Uh, it's not pleasant. I have this problem because my nose has been stopped up since I was one because I have terrible allergies. And uh, But you learn to deal with it. Now, in your particular case, if you don't have sleep apnea, the best thing to do is to try to get your nose open. And what you said about not using nasal sprays has to do with vasoconstrictor nasal sprays, not steroid nasal sprays. I'm talking about Afrin and other decongestant nasal sprays, those you cannot use for more than three days at a time without basically rotting your nose out on the inside because it constricts all the blood vessels, and then your nose actually swells up. So uh, <clears throat> the the uh, over-the-counter ones like Nasacort, Rhinocort, uh, et cetera, those could, should, in cases like yours, should be used every day probably twice a day, indefinitely. They don't cause any long-term side effects if you use them by the directions, and they are very, very safe, and I use those twice a day in my nose to keep it open. Another thing you can try is the Breathe Right Slips strips. Sometimes those are helpful uh, in decreasing snoring. The other thing is is to put uh, stop sleeping on your back. If you sleep on your side... You have to put a pillow back there uh, to keep you from rolling over. Or some people actually put a tennis ball in their pajamas, and you can get pajamas with a tennis ball thing in there that every time you try to flatten out and sleep on your back, it hurts like heck, and you turn back on your side. And uh, that will make a big difference, sleeping on your side. Now, if all of that doesn't work and you don't have sleep apnea, uh, then you need to see a sleep doctor. Is that helpful? Yes, that was all very helpful. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Okay, and I can send that to you in writing if you want it. Just send me an email, okay? Appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. All right, good to talk to you. Let's go to Mobile, Alabama. And Becky. Hey, Becky. Hi. You got a lot of veterans in Mobile. Well, I know it, and I'm calling you because I applaud what you're doing. Oh, good. What am I doing? You are talking about the program coming up on PBS. Oh, good, good. I... Burns. I'm not a veteran, uh, but I am 76 years young. I recently watched some programs on PBS that were uh, replays of the music that we listened to in the 60s. Yeah, I've Vietnam been watching War. those, too. I've been watching those, too. I love it. I do, too. I do, too. Those doo-wop was, programs. Doo-wop, doo-wop, yeah. You mentioned a little while ago something about signal, signals and triggers, uh. and watching those uh, programs was a real trigger for me because it was helping me get in touch with how angry I am about what happened in the Vietnam War. Yeah, it was certainly a waste of so many lives. It was a terrible waste, and I can't tell you how how much rage I experienced as I watched my friends being drafted into a war that I did not believe in. Yeah. You know, and I still have that rage. Well, I'm not over I'm not over the feelings that I have about taking care of guys uh, who were coming off of planes at Walter Reed in the middle of the night with their arms and legs blown off on ventilators. And these guys were younger than I was. I was young. And, you know, it just broke my heart. And I I could not express how I felt because I was a doctor and I couldn't get emotional. And, uh, you know, and then I had to talk to their families about all this stuff. 
and I had not to be emotional, and you know, it really affected me. And I'm a small, small part of this equation. There are huge numbers of guys whose whole lives have been screwed up by the experience that they had, primarily because they couldn't talk about it. I know. I know and and I know. what I have done is just talk, talk, talk. Well, keep talking. Uh, and it's helping me, but I still, uh, I still remember it. Well, thank you. Keep talking. It helps those of us who are right in there with you because we're listening. All right. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you so much for your call. Great veterans associations down in Mobile. Mobile is a great place to live if you're a veteran, and, and uh, so thank you very much for that call. Actually, uh, Ronnie Agnew, the uh, uh, director up here at uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, wrote a really super um, article in fine-tuning. That's a Mississippi Public Broadcasting uh, monthly. This, uh, this fine-tuning book is really neat because it's got a lot of stuff about this in here, and you ought to join anyway. But uh, one of the things that uh, our executive director wrote in there is that uh, soldiers died by the thousands, protesters heckled them, politicians failed miserably in explaining the United States' interest in the war, and Mississippi is a state with a connection to everything. And that has to do with so many of our people. And Ken Burns actually said that nobody uh, but PBS would ever do this series of 10 programs. So please have all your veteran friends uh, listen to it. And we're going to be doing a lot of talking about it on this program. I'm going to actually have one of the clinical psychologists who takes care of PTSD on, and uh, we're going to do a lot with that. So this is a great time for your granddad that never talked about this to tell you about it, uh, where he'll have some peace uh, if it's still bugging him. So and 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 give him a give him an extra hug. Uh, that always helps. Let's go to Horn Lake and Camilla. Hey, Camilla. Hi. What's happening? Oh uh, well, I have two questions actually. All right. It's about my brother. He still can't talk about the Vietnam War, and he was in Vietnam. Uh-huh. The other one is majorly about my husband who died in 2016. He had a heart attack, and uh, he suffered real bad from bad anxiety from the war. I'm sorry. And he still had trouble talking about it to me. Yeah. I'm the only person he would use as his safe person and my nephew. Yeah. Uh, he used my granddaughter when he would have to travel too far to the doctor because I couldn't drive him and be his safe person at the same time. Do you know why why they these two people and everybody else can't talk about it? No, the reason we can't talk about it is it was so awful and so unreal and so terrible and so bloody and everything wrong with what life ought to be about, that the only way that you could handle this was to wrap it in a box in your brain and then put it in the back of your brain and try never to go there. That was the only way you could get through it because the military did not provide counseling for Vietnam veterans at all uh, when you got out. I mean, they just, when I got out, I got this, uh, I got called in by my boss and he gave me this honorable discharge paper and said, good luck, see you. That was it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a matter of not processing. uh, It's like everything else. If you go through a divorce, the same thing happens. That's a protective mechanism. And if you don't deal with that, you can bottle stuff up, and it can give you all kinds of physical and mental issues. And it sounds like your, your hubby ended up with the physical problems from this, huh? Yeah, he did. He had some very bad physical problems. Yeah. I was the only person besides my nephew that he would allow to stay with him. And if my nephew wasn't at home, I couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. I had to be with him at all times. Yeah. But one of the two of us had to be with him 24-7. Well, you were a blessing to him. You were a blessing. And I'm sorry that happened to him, and I'm sorry it happened to you. Uh, well, I appreciate that. And uh, now that we know a little bit more about this, I'm hoping that some of the soldiers, they're certainly getting more counseling and access that are coming back from Afghanistan, by the way, which is just as bad, just right. as bad. 
uh, and these other places. We have a lot of people who are not in uniform who are with the CIA and other uh, government agencies that are not uniform military that are also doing a lot of this work uh, with terrorist groups and so forth that really, you know, nobody even knows what they're doing that uh, need to be recognized as well. So thank God for you. Thank God for our veterans who did what they had to do because they were called to do it, even if, like me, they didn't agree with it, like many others. And uh, and I appreciate your, your calling in, and I wish I could fix what happened to you, but thank goodness you're sharing it with other people and helping them. So thank you. Thank you. All right, good to talk to you. We've got open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'd love to hear your thoughts. There's a lot of pain out there about the Vietnam War still around. All of us are that were involved are getting mighty old, and I'm hoping that the people who've been through this will start talking about it, where at least they'll have some peace uh, during their later years, and it will make a lot of difference if you're able to do that. So you may want to watch this documentary starting uh, this Sunday, the 17th at 7 p.m., or you may not. If you're a veteran and you've had problems, do not watch this thing alone. Do not, do not watch this alone. You need to be watching it with other veterans or family members or someone if you're going to watch it because it may provoke some anxiety, and it certainly will provoke flashbacks if you've had PTSD. If you're under counseling, you need to talk to your psychologist or psychiatrist before you see it uh, and find out if it's the right thing to do. The idea is to make you better, not make you worse, okay? So this is going to be the real deal here. He has spent a lot of time getting footage that has never been shown before. And uh, so we just want you to be well. And uh, I don't know what your situation is, and I can't give you any specific advice, but I'm telling you that the people that I deal with on a daily basis who are vets who have become able to talk about this problem are better off than the ones who can't. So there you go. And your VA medical center actually has a lot of resources now. They just hired a whole truckload of new clinical psychologists to help with this. Let's go to Rick in Grand Bay. Hey, Rick. Hey, Rick. Um, Great name you have. I would keep it. Yeah. I thought you before. I'd keep yours, too. Okay. Uh, I, I was there. Southern PTSD, uh, just talking about it, or hearing about it, got tears out of my eyes. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. It's good. It's a good thing. Um, Theory. Uh, Maybe the reason why Vietnam on, that PTSD is one of the most prevailing problems coming out of the military. Yeah. Is that uh, before that, they had to spend weeks on ships coming back, and they had a chance to unload. Think about that. Yeah. Absolutely. We just, jet, we just jet across the world, you know? Yeah. It might have some effect, you know? Because at least that gets them talking about it, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Comrades. Yeah, and what, what I, happened? I don't, you, I don't know if you were in battle. There's a camaraderie that's set up in battle. Yep. That, uh, they see the, the camaraderie is even stronger than marriage sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, I was not in battle. I was stuck at a military hospital uh, taking care of people who were. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And I will also tell you that I observed, I have no data other than my own observations, that people that were flown, uh, a lot of people got flown from field hospitals to Germany uh, or other places and then were air immediately to CONUS, to the United States, to military hospitals. Those people that did not have an opportunity to talk about what was going on uh, were the ones who were the worst off. Now, the military hospitals during that period, especially for enlisted uh, folks and most officers, were open wards. And, uh, for instance, uh, at Walter Reed, we had had one uh, ward that had 20-something guys on ventilators uh, that had basically had chest wounds and the like. And, 
as they got better, other people could see it, and they would talk about it, and then they would go to a step-down ward, and they would talk about it. The ones who could actually talk about it were the ones who did the best. The ones who just couldn't do it, they didn't do well. So I'm glad. uh, Thank you for your service, and I'm glad that you're talking about it, Uh, Rick, and keep it up. Keep it up. We're going to take this with us to the end, and it's going to be something we're going to have to remember right to our last day, so we need to work through it. Let's go to Bert in Batesville. Hey, Bert. Bert, what's on your Um, mind? I think I heard Jay White laughing at you when you did your sleep apnea impression. (laughs) I don't know whether he was laughing or not, but he does laugh a lot. (laughs) He may have been having an an, an anapenic event. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) Hey, is that Jim Hughes? That's great. uh, Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Jim Hughes is going to be... Uh, on this little 30-minute deal that we're doing that will run with one of these 10 episodes, Jim Hughes was, uh, at the time, you know, a lot of people in Mississippi know Jim because uh, he was the chief of orthopedics at UMC for 150 years and is still very active in all kinds of community things. And he was actually... uh, He had one year of surgical training, and then they took him out of the training and and sent him to Vietnam, and he was actually a field surgeon. I was told by the guy next to me in medical school who'd come back uh, as an intern uh, from Vietnam that they lied to you that doctors really did get in combat. And Jim convinced me of that, (laughs) not that I hadn't figured it out already. He was right there in the field of battle at the first level of evacuation where they they actually had doctors embedded with active combatants, so the the medics took them uh, back to these field hospitals. So that was Jim, and we appreciate your call. I wish we we'll talk more about Vietnam next week or whatever you want to call in. I appreciate very very much your listening. You've been listening to Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Our producer is the smiling, laughing Jay White. Uh, and uh, we are uh, grateful that you listen to us. We'll be in the same time, the same place next week, or you can listen to us Sunday at 6 a.m. if you're an early riser. Stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now. You, our, our email is still open if you want to send us an email. Great to have you with us this week. <laughs> 